Thank you, Cameron. That is the battle, isn't it? <clears throat> the battle of wanting more of us and not of God. If you've not been with us recently or first time, we've been in a series, a series this fall that I've entitled Single Word Grow. And the Grow series is a series about what it is that should be in the life of a believer, someone who follows Jesus. How is it that we grow? God does a work in our hearts and lives, and we've seen it over time over the last number of weeks. We've seen what He does and how He teaches us to worship Him, to serve Him, uh, how He desires for us to be holy in our lives, to love Him and to love others, to gather together and to show that love, to be humble before God and before others. And last week we saw that He desires for us to give. And all of that has a goal. The growth has a goal, and that goal is Christ-likeness, or to me, more like Jesus. We see who He is, and we see the beauty of Jesus, and we desire, if we're a follower of Christ, we desire to be like Him. So that is the goal. That is why we grow, not to get some heavenly gold star or to build up a crown. That's not the goal, because the Bible says that one day we'll throw the crowns down at Christ's feet, because we're not worthy, only He is. But we desire to grow. And so this morning, we're going to move to a, a, a next part of this growth series. And as we do so, I think it's one that will be challenging for us all. But before we do, let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, by your mercy and by your grace, we thank you that you have brought us together today. Thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We have seen that through the love of Jesus. So God, as we come to you this morning, I pray that our hearts will be open to your word That as we have gathered together to hear your word, that you, by the Holy Spirit, would just unfold what you have for us that we might understand. Lord, may we be doers of your word. And oh God, I pray that it will be your word, your passages that burn into our hearts and minds. Father, my words are of no consequence, but your word is life eternal. So I pray that you would work through it today. May you be glorified through our time. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Been an interesting week, hasn't it? For some of you, though, what? what? Did something happen this week? Yeah. Um, you know, if you look on Facebook, it was either the end of the world or the second coming of, I don't know. <laughs> like, will you give me a break? Can I like, have like, a happy medium? It's life. Nothing really changed or changes, and it's still the same. Um, I'm glad it's over. Or is it ever really over? I'm not sure. Uh, But you know, our situation really hasn't changed as a believer. We still have the same mission. Nothing has really changed in our goal and our focus as a follower of Christ. If indeed, you're here this morning and a follower of Christ. The only thing that's changed is probably just uh, the environment around us. And that goes from good to bad. And and the overall history, the last almost 2,000 years... Uh, it's been either really good or really bad or somewhere in between. Got it covered? See? I'm speaking already for fundities, aren't I? Well, you know, the, the focus of a believer does not change on who the president is, the king, the dictator. The focus of the believer never changed. And I hope that your hope is not in a political system or a political ideology because you will always be disappointed. Always. It'll never be exactly like you want it. Because they're humans in charge of government, and 
It'll never be exactly like we want it. It'll be like they want it. But this week was an easy reminder how so often we get distracted from our mission. You know, some of us stayed up to 150, and then we couldn't, we were falling asleep on the couch, so we actually went to bed, uh, just to see what was happening. Others of us looked at the Dow Jones futures and thought, you know, it's a time to buy. The market's really, really low, and then it, by the time the market opens, it's about the same, and so, you know, there goes the 401k. Um, Distractions. Distractions. This morning, we have something that is so vital to the Christian life that often gets overlooked. We talk about it really well. We speak in glowing terms of this next uh, part of our growth series. In fact, we laud when other people do it, and we, we say, boy, a girl, good job, wonderful, but maybe not asking me to do that. I don't think that's really for me. You see, a wonderful thing has happened to the follower of Christ, the one who has received Jesus by faith in Him through the grace that God has extended to us. A wonderful thing has happened. Jesus has redeemed us. We sang songs about this morning. He's redeemed us from the sin that enslaved us. He has set us free from those things that have bound us, and now we are free to live for God. We have the liberty in Christ. This new law that Christ gives is the law of love that we live out through our lives. And so we, we are the most of, of everyone, of anyone, should have joy in our lives. And we should have something upon our lips. See, God provided a way for us. When Jesus came... He broke into human history. He lived for 33-some years, and he, he totally changed everything that was before. You see, the Old Testament, the old economy, led and pointed to him. All the sacrificial system for the Jews led to that day that Jesus would lay down himself as a sacrifice, that he would redeem the people of Israel and then open the doors to the nations, to most of us, for salvation. Jesus changed everything for humans because of Christ's love. And you remember after he was, he's risen from the dead, he spends about 40 days with his disciples. And he's teaching them. He's, he's connecting the dots. He's saying, you remember that passage in the Old Testament? That prophet said, yeah, that was me. And they're like, oh. Okay. You know, it, it was not that he, he had already said a lot of this as he taught them, but he was connecting the dots now. And he was making it real for them. They could understand exactly who he was and why he came. And to that beautiful time of, as, he, as he taught them. And then, and then he went back into heaven. But before he did, he commissioned them. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 tells of that. And he tells of, of that, the good news that was given. And really, the word that we use, gospel, is the word euangelion from the Greek. But it is that word for good news. And so he tells them, I want you to go, therefore, and, and, and preach the gospel. Make disciples, really is what he said there. Make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them all I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. We think of that as the great commission. Commission. In Acts 1.8, he's, he's right before he, he ascends to heaven. He says, but they ask, so, so when is the kingdom coming? He said, that's not for you to understand. That's not for you to know. But... You will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts, all of the world. 
you will be my witnesses of the gospel of the good news of Jesus. So he commissioned him. He sent them on their way. And he gave him, and you can see in the beginning of what Jesus did, these disciples were charged and energized. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them there on the day of Pentecost, they go from that place preaching, and 3,000, after Peter preaches, 3,000 come to Christ on that day. And they continue, Acts chapter 2, house to house, and it says God was adding to the church those who would be saved, and it's growing. It's ballooning in population. You're seeing people come to Christ, and they were mainly Jews. Mainly Jews who, who are now connecting the dots through the, the, the work and the telling of the disciples of who Jesus was. They were going, and they were being his witnesses. You know, telling is the heartbeat of Jesus. The gospel is the heartbeat of Jesus for us. And it was the heartbeat of the disciples. The apostles, as they wrote, as they, they traveled. Some you hear about Peter. Uh, you hear up to a certain point. Then it seems an Acts that Paul takes over and his story um, is predominant through the end of Acts. And you see those men enduring great hardships to tell the good news of Jesus. This morning I read from a passage on Scripture reading in, in Romans 10. And it says, how then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Someone must tell. Someone must tell. This morning, the next step on our, on our, our uh, series of growth is this telling. It's going to use the word evangelize, which is a a word that we understand. But tell almost makes it more immediate. Evangelize, we think, it leads to those people who are evangelists. But Paul said, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, he said, but I give you pastors, teachers, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints. So the saints will go and do the work of the ministry. We all have the responsibility of telling, of telling. But why do we tell? Why is it that we tell? Well, as the Holy Spirit wrote the New Testament, as it began to unfold first after the Gospels, the Acts of the Apostles, as he gives the history, and then you see the letters of Paul to different churches, he's building uh, what is now, we understand, as the New Testament. He's building not only the history, but the doctrine and the practice of the church. And so you see through those stories, you see through those letters, exactly how believers should live and how they should tell. One, one story I really love illustrates this first point. The first point is always be ready to tell. And that story is the story of Paul and Silas at the city of Philippi. And you see, Paul is moving through on his missionary journey, and he receives in a dream uh, a man that looks like a Macedonian and says, come over to us, come to us. And so Paul gets up, and he goes to Macedonia, and he goes and preaches, and uh, he goes to the city of Philippi, which is a leading city in that district. And Acts 16 tells the story, if you want to 
to turn there. I'm going to read some through the verses here and maybe only pick up a, a few of them, but you want to follow along. Acts 16, beginning in verse 8, tells of the story. But in verse 12, he says, And from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, we were staying at this city for some days. And then as Paul's practice was, on the Sabbath, verse 13, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God that was Yahweh, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And then Paul takes a little aside of this. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, verse 16, having a spirit of divination, uh, divination, divination sorry, met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune-telling. So we understand that she had some sort of evil spirit. And so looking to profit, these men were using her as she would, she would say things to come or a prophecy or um, something that seemed like a prophecy. They were charging money for her to say that. And so she came, and because she had this evil spirit, she following Paul, she kept crying this thing, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. So after coming across her the first time, she begins to follow them and to proclaim this. These are men, bondservants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming the way of salvation. And after a while, this one who had an evil spirit, it kind of got on Paul's nerves. Okay, so Paul is bringing the true spirit of God, and an evil spirit through her is now, he didn't want her proclaiming who he was and who he represented. So, um, verse 18, he continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out at that very moment. So as they preach the gospel, and as God, through Paul, releases this one from the evil spirit. She is freed from the slavery of the spirit that had had bound her. The men are are upset. The men are upset. And verse 19, but when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, because it was all about profit for them, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and they are proclaiming customs which are not lawful to us to accept being Romans. We're Romans, they said. Um, he continued, um, and then he, this is, the crowd rose up, and the end of it is that, that they, they beat them, and they send them to jail. Paul and Silas are in jail now. And if anyone had reason to uh, be discouraged and to be upset, it was Paul and Silas. Now they're in jail for what? For preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and for freeing this one who had been enslaved by this evil spirit. They're thrown in jail. And said, you know, what would you do if you were thrown in jail? Would you lash out? Well, Paul and Silas does not do that at all. You find them in jail singing praises and praying. You find them singing praises and praying. And God sends an earthquake and it shakes the prison and the doors of the prison are open. And so instead of this, of fleeing, which we probably would have done, Paul and Silas said, well, God sent us a way to get out. Let's go. No. They stay and use this as an opportunity for the gospel. The jailer comes out, he sees that the gates are open to the prison, and he assumes certain death because he was responsible for all those lives, and if they escaped, it would be his life. 
he readies himself to take his own life, and Paul stops him. He says, we are all here. And the result of that encounter, the man says, what must I do to be saved? What is it to, to inherit eternal life? And so Paul and Silas tell him. And this man and his household are gloriously saved. And he cares for Paul. The jailer cares for Paul. So it is, here it is that, that Paul, we see an example of someone who is always ready to give the gospel. One who does not look upon uh, the hardships that he endures as something to stop him. He doesn't let it stop him. He continues. He's always ready. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see Paul taking every opportunity. Every opportunity to tell the good news. It's interesting because at the end of the story there, uh, the, the townspeople find out that they're, they're actually Roman citizens, and so they want to um, just open the door and let them go. And Paul says, no, because he, and it's interesting that he wants his reputation to be intact. As he goes, he says, no, I want the, the, the guards of the city, I want them to release us. But no, we did not, did not do anything that would be an offense as a Roman citizen. And so he stays there in that city, and then he leaves. And so we have the letter written to, to Philippians, to Philippi later on, a letter of joy and of love, and a letter written to people who had endured persecution. So Paul was always ready to give the gospel. He was always ready to tell the good news. And you know, you and I must always be ready to give the good news. We should not let anything distract us or stop us from that. So often we are too easily stopped, aren't we? We're too easily stopped from that. We're always ready. Always ready. Second thing. Don't let anything distract you from telling. Don't let anything distract you from telling. Acts 20. It's a few chapters over. 17 through 24. And Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus. And uh, they're in the town of Miletus as he's, right, as he's speaking to them, as Luke is recording this. And he's talking about his impact and his life there with him and, and how he had lived in such a way to commend them to Jesus and to, to give an example for them. He says in verse 18, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, um, how I was with you the whole time. I was serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. But despite that, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, and solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of the repentance toward God and faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, by the Spirit, I am bound by the Spirit. I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Paul knew that going to Jerusalem would put him in prison. He says, But I do not consider my life any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul did not let anything distract him. Not only was he always ready to tell, but these distractions could have stopped him. I mean, you think of it. Um, 
he's going to certain imprisonment. He doesn't know about death, but he knows he's going to be in prison. He's going to be chained. He knows that, but he's still going. He says, nothing has stopped me. To, I, I receive this, and I have never failed to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. You see how God has left in the New Testament examples of people who would not stop in giving the gospel. They would not stop telling. They were always ready to tell, and they would not let anything come and distract them from telling. You know, it's too easy for us to be distracted. I mentioned uh, the events of this week. How many of us place too much emphasis on that? How many of us lost our testimony by how we posted or how we talked to others who opposed us? And suddenly politics were in front and center instead of the gospel. We're not going to win them by political ideology. It is only by the love and grace of Jesus. You know, good things can be distractions. Our family, our jobs, school, friends, fun. Those things can be distractions. And those are not all bad things. Nothing I list, listed there was a bad thing. Family's good, school's good, job's good. You know, it's good to have fun sometimes. But when it turns to a distraction, when it turns to something that consumes us instead of a platform for the gospel, a platform for telling, then we've let it distract us. You see, your job, my job, my family, all of these things are platforms for telling. Instead of them being distractions to us, they give us opportunity. So you have a hobby in town. Okay? You have something that you love to do, and you get together with people who love to do that thing also. Whether it's rope climbing or scaling or, I don't know, um, Knitting, crocheting, I don't know. I'm not good at any of those I've mentioned. I would fall or stick myself with a needle, I'm not sure. Um, Whatever is your enjoyment, what an opportunity to tell the gospel to show God's love through those things. Platforms for the gospel. You You and I must have a focus of our lives. We must focus on telling the good news. Tell them the good news. Are you gospel-focused? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that, I tell of you the first importance of Jesus. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised from the dead. Paul led with telling the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He, that, was his, that was his introduction of himself. By the way, letters, I'm a bondservant. Of Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'm apostle, I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ. But he always led with that. That was who Paul was. That's who we must be. We sometimes think that Paul was a, a master, super Christian. I think he was probably more dedicated than many of us, sold out. But you you read his writings where he says, you know. I know my letters seem strong to you. I'm really bold when I write because I'm, I'm, I'm cities away. I'm hundreds of miles away. When I come to you, I know I kind of sound weak, you know. 
Paul, if you, you, he, Paul probably would not have filled like, like the arena, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe, but I, I doubt it. He didn't have that commanding presence. He didn't have that bass voice. Neither do I. He didn't have that, the commanded people to, to come and listen to him, but he had the fervency and the desire and the passion that people would know Jesus as he knew Jesus. Why? Because he had an incredible motivation. He had a motivation. That's number three. Always tell. Don't be distracted, but remember your motivation for telling. What was Paul's motivation? A couple of things. First of all, he knew that time was short. Peter knew that time was short. Both his time, and maybe time as regards to history, was short. Now, at this point, almost 2,000 years since Paul is writing. But Paul's earthly time was short. You know, our motivation, first of all, of telling is that we understand that our time is short. We have just a few short years on this earth. And what we do is going to matter or not matter in life. How we live can have impact for eternity or it can burn up when we burn up. Just kind of good ashes. Peter writes, the Lord is not slow about his promises as some count slowness. Because at that time, they were saying, well, isn't the Lord going to come? Why is he waiting? Why is he tarrying? Why is it that he's not coming right away? If a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years of the day of the Lord, why isn't he coming now? But he says, but his patient, God is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Do you understand the time that God is giving us now is for us to be telling the good news of Jesus Christ? God is now currently tearing from the return of Jesus because he's not willing for any to perish, but to all come. So time is short. Our time is short. We don't know what another day will bring. What are you doing today that will count? The second motivation that Paul had and that Peter had, the apostles had, was his motivation of gratitude. They understood what Jesus had done for them. They understood the depth of their sin. They understood the depth of the sacrifice of Christ. Think of the the disciples of Peter, of John, of the others who watched Jesus on the cross. They knew the depth of His sacrifice for them. You know, it's a natural response. uh, And just in preparation, a very simple definition for evangelism in uh, the Dictionary of Biblical Themes is evangelism arises from a natural response to the grace of God. That natural response is gratitude. The natural response is gratitude. It's also a concern for those who have, not yet, uh, who have yet to hear the, God, the good news and a desire to be faithful to the Great Commission. We have the motivation, if we know Christ, 
we are his, we have the motivation to tell others. Because God has done a work for us. He has done such a work for us in salvation. Gratitude, we tell others because someone told us. Someone took the time to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with us. And aren't you grateful? Someone cared enough for you. Someone cared enough for me that took the time to share the good news of Jesus. And that is the motivation for us. That is this next building block in the growth of a life of a believer, is this telling. You see, because Jesus has redeemed us, He has paid the price for our sins, He has given us a home in heaven, and He is presently indwelling us by His Spirit. Jesus has redeemed us. We must tell the good news. And it is not for a special few to tell. It is for all of us. There are going to be people that if I tried to talk to them, they would not give me the time of day. Oh yeah, you're a preacher. You're one of those people. but they'll listen to you. They'll listen to you because you've loved them, you've cared for them, and you've known them, you've lived with them or lived beside them or worked beside them or done hobbies beside them. You've been a part of their lives. We tell because someone took the time to tell us. You know, we tell ourselves lies. We, we try to say, well, if I don't tell them, God will send someone else to tell them. Hmm. Hmm. Not sure about that. My ministry is only discipling and teaching. God's only gifted me in the, this area of discipling. I, I don't need to do the other stuff. I, I'll stay with my gifts. Well, that also is not found in Scripture. Not found in Scripture that we have... Yes, sometimes areas of giftedness and we do rely on certain directions. That only even, that only even um, magnifies the opportunity of telling. Fritz Chrysler was a, um, Chrysler was a famous violinist of last century. Um, and well-recorded, just go to YouTube, well-recorded Deutsche Grammophone. Um, not only was a violinist, but he was a composer as well. In fact, uh, he played a few things, and he kind of put them under the name of another composer, and then they started searching for the, I don't think that composer wrote them, and they'd have to admit, oh, yes, okay, I wrote them. Um, but one day he had heard of a famous violin, and he wanted, he wanted to purchase that. And so a friend of his was uh, the broker, and he came to him and said, um, I'd like to purchase a violin. The guy gave him the price, and um, it was just so far out above what uh, he could uh, afford. And so he went out, and he told, his, told the, the guy, he said, uh, I'll be back. I'll be back. So he went out and took on extra gigs uh, to, to earn money to, 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 really to, to, to be able to buy this. And when he came back, the guy said, I'm sorry, I had a collector come, and he bought it. And uh, Fritz Kreisler was just 
it was uh, overwrought. He, he said he, he had to have that violin. He tells a story in an article that was written um, early part of last century. And as he, uh, as he tells the story, he, uh, he found out the name of the collector. And he goes to him and said, I, I re- would really like to, to purchase the violin. Okay, he says, no, no, it's not for sale. I've been wanting this one for a long time. And so Fritz saw that he was getting nowhere on it. And uh, he said, well, before I go, may I just play it? Clifford says, okay, you play it. And so in Fritz's mind, he, he played the best he had ever played. And he made it so emotional. He played and he finished. And the collector says, okay, you can have it. I'll sell it to you. This violin's too beautiful to be silenced. It's too beautiful to sound for his voice not to be heard across the world. And Fritz walked away with the violin that day. And in a way, we have something more priceless of greater worth than a mere instrument. We have the precious blood of Christ that has been poured out for us and we have salvation. And that gift that we have been given is too valuable for our voice not to be heard in telling. It is too valuable for us to be silent. Will you grow this essential area of the Christian life? Will you tell? Let's bow our heads. Please and close your eyes. This morning, I don't know exactly where you are. If you are here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, may I urge you to, as you have heard of who He is, how lovely Christ is and wonderful in the the purchase that he was made for us to satisfy our sin debt, I hope you find that he is more valuable than anything else that you can have. And that you will come and receive him today. Any of us would love to take God's word to explain more fully of who he is and what he has done so that you will know. But if you're a follower of Christ today, if you are his disciple? Are you keeping the greatest gift that you have been given silent? Are you telling? Are you telling? It's not a question that I can answer for you. It's a question you have to wrestle with God. And all of life is lived out for a platform to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ. God's working your heart today. Would you respond to him? We're going to bow in prayer in just a moment. And then we're going to acknowledge the, the great gift that was made for us by observing the Lord's Supper. And we're going to, to share together in that. If God speaking to your heart, would you respond to him now? Gracious God, by your mercy, your, by your grace, your word has been proclaimed. We see through the examples of of the biblical writers a fervency and a love for you that was unmatched. 
And so, God, I pray that we would be struck to our hearts and our responsibility and our privilege of telling. Lord, would you do a work by your Holy Spirit in hearts. May those who go from this place be joyful in what God has done for them. May you be glorified. It's in Christ and I pray. Amen.